Hello, this is Kumbasike, this is Connor, and this is episode 64. Today I'm talking to Will Saxton. Will is initially from Sheffield and is here today to talk about a variety of topics, including Sierra Leone and young fatherhood. How are you, Will? Oh, I am good. Thank you for having me on, man. It's been a it's been a while and yeah, yeah. trying to get me over. But that mate, that just says a lot about my current life, being a, a working father, you know. But yeah, blessed, man. Blessed to be on. Yeah, absolutely, man. Been a pleasure. Like it's been as we were just chatting off camera, two years since we've seen you. I obviously met Gabe a month after he was born. And so I'm excited that when I eventually come home, we can have a little reunion again. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, but I remember we went to that ice cream place, didn't we? Yeah, on a Division <laughs> Street. I think it's Division Street. I can't remember exactly. Yeah, the, I've got that photo of you and you're holding it really awkwardly. <laughs> I was that's actually... just what I was like. That's what I was like when I first held him. Like, babies are hard to hold and because yeah. you, they're so precious. Yeah, I went to Glasgow the week after and then I was saying that I was going to meet up with my mate who's had a kid. And they said, oh, yeah, so, you know, you got any photos? I went, yeah, sure. Showed the photo. And they went, what are you, what are you holding him like? You hold him in the most awkward manner possible. <laughs> Not held a baby since my sister, which was 2004, so wasn't the worst. Yeah, <laughs> you weren't the only one, honestly. Like, all my friends have no idea how to hold him. <laughs> yeah, I'll get some practice one day, like. But so, okay, sweet. So you are obviously from Sheffield. That's where we met. Do you mind telling me a bit more about your background in Sheffield? Then, what was life like growing up in Sheffield? Yeah, man. So, yeah, I lived in Sheffield my whole life. I don't know how because I've always like been into traveling, but just somehow, yeah, I ended up here my whole life. Um, yeah, I mean, like, I, I love Sheffield. Sheffield is, is a blessed city. Um, just got one too many hills, though. Um, I just wish eventually I moved to a city where there's no hills um, because I'd like to cycle everywhere. But you, you, just, you know Sheffield, isn't it, man? It's just one hill after another, so it's impossible. Yeah, it's a bit <laughs> brutal. Yeah, I was lucky that I lived in the city centre for most of it. Yeah, for all three years, actually. So I kind of never really... I mean, I did, obviously, you know, when I had to go out of the city centre eventually, geez, I'd get some calf workouts in. I'd be going up and be like, <laughs> legs are killing. Yeah, I mean, literally, like, like where I live now, I live S8 area. And um, there's like a big, big hill, Sheffield Road to get up to it. So if I was to cycle, going down it, absolutely joyful. But going back up, it's just a no-go. I don't know how people do it, man. Yeah, it's pretty brutal. But, uh, yeah, I've grown on a bit of a tangent there. But yeah, Sh <laughs> yeah Sheffield's all right, man. I've lived here, obviously, my whole life. Um, yeah, I did uni here as well. So I spent, um, I did journalism my first year of uni. That's where I met your beautiful self. Well, hey. Um, I'm trying to think when we first ever met, though, mate. Can you remember? I, um, I remember meeting kind of vaguely. I think I'll, yeah, oh, I do actually, boom. I think our first meeting was very uneventful. It was just like a hey in a seminar. But the first time we properly chatted is we kind of had a mutual friend, like my friend from home, and he also lived in your building. Um, and yes, yeah, yeah. I, I got invited to a party one time at yours, and suddenly I'm like, yeah, it's that guy from my course. Yeah, I think yeah. people do that at uni, don't they? Like, even if they know them, if they kind of know them from the course, like, oh, yes, it's you, it's you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I remember when we properly started hanging out or first properly met, do you remember it? Um, was it just gigs, going to gigs and stuff? A bit before that, it was when we went to London. Do you remember we had a uni trip to London? Oh, <laughs> yeah, man. On the tuk-tuk. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Some guy was like, I'll give you a lift back to the... Somehow we get lost. I don't know how this happens, but we end up in London with no real idea how we're going to get back because I think the tubes have stopped. And then this guy <laughs> rocks up in a tuk-tuk and is like, yeah, come on. 
absolutely yeah man bless but yeah i mean i um... <laughs> oh good times man but yeah going back to uni i mean i didn't i fucked about man don't even swear but yeah absolutely fucked about for the first year in uni um trying to balance like this new independence this kind of new lifestyle of the possibility of going to a club on a monday night and trying to balance that with like trying to do a degree for me was just an absolute no-no it was just not <laughs> happening at all and uh, yeah so after failing i think i failed uni i remember going to the last exam completely not bothered at all and um, already my mindset onto a different degree yes yeah, so i think i failed in the end funny right. story actually i uh, during that period i'd agreed to go to um, a marketing course so i was due to start marketing and uh, my mate was as well he fucked about his first year so we we're both gonna do marketing together and to celebrate we both went on a cruise ship to amsterdam yeah, it turns out um when i came home i decided to do criminology instead <laughs> how did That's this what... how did this amsterdam cruise <laughs> change your change your career choice <laughs> i mean i was at the cruise itself i think it might have just had a bit of time to think i mean you spend literally 24 hours on the cruise to get to amsterdam and then while you're in Amsterdam, you get to spend nine till five just there. And then it's 24 hours on the cruise ship back. <laughs> so I think I probably just had a lot of time to think. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't even know this was a thing. Like you can just cruise to Amsterdam and back in a couple of days. Mate, yeah, literally. Um, I, we got it on Woucher. Um, obviously, you know, to celebrate me doing marketing. <laughs> got it on Woucher. must have been less than about 50 quid. It's definitely worth doing. But mm, I say that. It's always better to spend more than like eight hours in Amsterdam. It's never quite enough. Yeah, I mean, I've been Amsterdam about three or four times now, and yeah, yeah, eight hours. Something about the whole experience, <laughs> right? Yeah, and seeing the delight they're on offer. And I, was, uh, and I was so hungover as well because on the cruise ship there was like absolutely nothing to do apart from drink and go to a casino. And I remember we blew about 20 quid in the casino in about two minutes. So obviously I wasn't going to stay there, was I? So I think we just got like a bottle of vodka, just drank that. And then the day after was just, pair of man of only an Amsterdam for about eight hours. It was an absolute struggle. <laughs> yeah, sounds it. So then, but yeah. yeah. Yeah, I was just going to ask, yeah. ask you about uni. Yeah, I was going to ask. So then um, you've obviously had this change of heart and you've gone to criminology. So then... How did that all come about your final year? Did you enjoy criminology? Yeah, I mean, criminology was, um, I learned I learned stuff, <laughs> which is good, I think, in a degree, in a three-year degree to learn stuff. But yeah, it really, it did open my eyes up to, you know, how the criminal justice system works and how bullshit it is. It's, it's, it's you know, important lessons to learn. Um, I got a lot from it, to be honest, and it really opened my eyes to what, what I want to do in life, and that's to really kind of help disadvantaged people. So, you know, in the end, it was a good degree. Um, certainly a challenge, though. I mean, obviously, in the final year, I had to juggle, you know, your final year of uni and a baby on the way. So that was, that was certainly a struggle. Yeah, I can imagine. And so then there was, like, you know, your dissertation alongside realising that your child's going to be born. Literally, yeah. So you can, I mean, people stress about, I don't know about you, mate, but people stress about dissertations already, yeah? It's already yeah. the most stressful thing in your life. So put that on top of a baby due to be born. I think my dissertation was due to be handed in, I think the Tuesday, and then my baby was due to be born on something like the Thursday. So you can imagine 
<laughs> can imagine how stressful that is. Yeah. And then to top it off as well, I had an ex- I was due to have an exam, and on the day Gabriel was due to be born. So yeah, a lot a lot of usual uni stress added to a child on the way. So yeah, one big stressful period, mate. Just uh, skip the exam because there's no way I could miss <laughs> the birth of Gabe. Yeah, uh, for an exam. <laughs> but yeah, it ended up ended up doing the exam. I think a couple of months later. Okay. So, so yeah, then I was finally done. Then I was finally done with uni. Oh god, yeah. I was gonna say that if you're doing an exam, how are you meant to concentrate when you've got a baby being due in about two hours after? Yeah, well, I mean, that, mate, that was the story of uni for the final year because Armani was Armani, my partner. She, uh, well, we found out she was pregnant literally at the start of final year. So you can imagine how distracting <laughs> that was having that in the background. Uh, but at the same time, mate, big motivation. You couldn't ask for a bigger motivation than uh, a child on the way, can you? Yeah, of course. I'm, I'm trying to think back to mine. I think I was just thinking, oh, I don't know what to do after year after. Let's just hope I get through for the sake of it. But then <laughs> you get this motivation. Of, oh, yeah, we're having a child. So you've kind of got to really go for it then with the degree. Absolutely. Mate, you can't fuck it up, can you? And uh, because I redid a year anyway, uh, obviously the first year, I couldn't I couldn't redo this year. So, yeah, you, you, it's, like I said, it's, it's the best motivation. It gave me such focus, gave me such drive. Um, and yeah, I ended up with a 2-1. So definitely worked. If anyone out there is struggling with uni, have a kid. <laughs> it's the best, <laughs> best motivation. That'll get it done. So well, this is actually leading me nicely on to then kind of Gabe and how that came about. So you were 23 when you realised you were going to have a child. Is that correct? Uh, mate, I think literally on my, I think it was my 22nd birthday. Uh, a couple of days before my 22nd birthday, I found out that Gabe was, uh, well, that, that Armani, my partner, was pregnant. Because uh, I remember, you know, telling my mates on like my birthday night out just about it and kind of laughing about it. Um, and then the more and more I drank, the more and more, how do I say, uncontrollable I was. <laughs> and I just couldn't hack the thought of having a child. Messy yeah. night is all I can say. Yeah, I was going to say that. What's going through your head then when you find out that you're going to have a child at such a young age? Yeah, I mean, a lot really, because at that point, like you, for me, like we wasn't too sure if we were going to keep him anyway. Um, I know it sounds kind of not cruel, but you know, I mean, it was, it was very difficult for us to, you know, even fathom that we were going to have him or we were going to keep him. So there was that in my head, like, do we keep him? Do we not? And then weighing up the two options, not obviously, you know, the positives and the negatives of having a child. And yeah, just a lot of crazy thoughts, man. A lot of crazy thoughts. Um, I mean, I remember at one point and I hope my partner doesn't mind me saying this, but I'm happy to share the story. Like to kind of put it into perspective of how, how to say how crazy we were both thinking is that like at around about like 20 to 24 weeks which is kind of the cutoff point for being able to abort a child we were actually like looking at like craigslist to see like what if people wanted to like how to say like have our baby so we could be surrogate to somebody else right that shows you how all over we were because not and eventually obviously you know, time had gone and we'd, we'd, we'd grown, grown attached to, you know, this this little fella inside inside her, her belly. And um, yeah, happy days. 
Okay, and so then what was it like the moment he's born and the moment you realise that you have started this family? You know what, mate? Like, the labour itself was, like, about three days long. Uh, so by the time he, like, you know, pops out, I mean, I was tired. I was absolutely knackered. God knows how Armani felt, <laughs> but I was absolutely knackered. I'd spent three days pretty much sleeping, like, on the hospital floor. You know, the hospitals uh, or the labour wards, they're not for me. I'm not the patient, so they have no care for the fathers whatsoever. You're just you're just in the way, if anything. So I was literally, like, sleeping on, like, either the hospital floor or, you know, like, really uncomfortable wooden chairs they have at hospitals, sleeping in them. So by the time Gabe was born, I was just absolutely shattered. <laughs> that was my, just my, you know, when you're tired, your mind is not there, is it? Yeah. You just can't really focus on anything. You can't think straight. So I was just so tired. Um, and then, yeah, so then we left the hospital with this, this, this little baby. Both of <laughs> us absolutely shattered. Armani obviously just given birth, so you can imagine how she was feeling. So do you know when people say, like, the birth of your child is the best day in your life? Yes. They're liars, man. <laughs> <laughs> They're lying. <laughs> because you're just so exhausted. Um, and then obviously in a hospital, you're cared literally like 24 seven by the amazing like, nurses. Uh, and then as soon as you leave the hospital, you're just by yourself with this little human. Yeah. Um, so it's crazy overwhelming. You're just very much like on your own at that point. Um, and obviously you've never done it before. Like I'd obviously never had a baby before. So this was like my first time. I don't know how to look after a baby. Yeah. There's no like practice run. <laughs> yeah yeah you know, true, no, I, month trial yeah you, yeah there's no yeah there's no like week-long free trial or anything like that you, you you're in complete the deep end so like at the start for me it wasn't so much of oh you know we're both so happy and this is the best feeling in the world it was just like oh my god <laughs> <laughs> what, what what have we done <laughs> what is this it was just crazy i mean that was literally my first feeling do you know when um when, when, when Gabe popped out, like my first, this is so weird, and I don't know if other fathers have this, but when Gabe popped out, I was surprised. I was just like, oh shit, <laughs> that's what this is all about. Like, I was literally surprised that a baby popped out. I was just, it's, it's a very weird feeling. Almost like you didn't expect it to really, really happen. I think that was it, mate. It was almost like a, a click, like, oh shit, that's, that, that's happening. This is happening now. <laughs> this is real life. Yeah, and so then, say in the you know the weeks after, maybe the first couple of months, you obviously go from being kind of a you know twenty normal twenty three year old really who likes to you know go to the pub, go on nights out, etc. How do you adjust then from being you know almost carefree to suddenly having you know like you're a baby to look after? Was your lifestyle change dramatically altered? Yeah, absolutely, mate. Yeah, like a like a light switch. It was it completely changed. Um, I mean, you go from myself, like me and Amani didn't really live with each other, so I was literally just like responsible for myself. I was like just used to look after myself. So to go from that, like, much like one week to then the next week, now I have to look after Armani and also like this baby. Like the responsibility, one million percent changes. Um, and then also then with that, like my lifestyle completely changes, like no longer now I can, you know, agree to like, you know, chill with friends or 
do what I want to do now that completely comes secondary to to this child so it, it's, a, it's, it's a massive massive change and with that as well is that nobody else is going through this change you know like it, it's just it was just me and Armani having this change everybody else's life just stayed the exact same and I found that really hard that people didn't quite how do I say almost like sympathize with me because their life is still the same do you know what I mean yeah of course I found that really hard it was such such a long process maybe like six to 12 months for me to really adapt and really get used to this new lifestyle of being responsible for someone else and completely being aware that everybody else's life is still carrying on as normal yeah sure took a while took a, yeah it really yeah. took a long time I can imagine and so then when you did finally adapt was there any event or any moment that kind of you landed as a parent if that makes sense was there anything that made mm-hmm. you like finally say become really comfortable with it I think mate it was lockdown uh, yeah good question yeah definitely probably lockdown uh, so in England it happened just over a year ago like 14 months ago so yeah. Gabe was kind of like just turning one um, and around that time like I was working full-time and so I, my, my life was basically just work sleep and then I've like you know see Gabe here and there obviously the weekends and that so it was very like full on very 100 miles an hour but then lockdown came and obviously with coronavirus which meant obviously I could work from home um, and, and that for me was like I don't want to sound too harsh or whatever but for us it was like such a blessing in a weird way do you know what I mean like it allowed us to to just concentrate on ourselves and for me just to spend all this time with Gabe and not worry too much about work and not worry too much about you know missing out on doing stuff with friends and all this FOMO that completely disappeared because no one else was doing it you know it allowed me and Armani and Gabe just to be a little happy family in our little home um, and just enjoy each other. And during that time, during lockdown was on, that's when I really, really grew to to love my life and, you know, just can concentrate on us and just realise what is what is important in my life. Yeah, of course. And then Gabe is going to be two on Sunday. It's coming up, right? Yes. Yeah. Correct, mate. That's yeah, fun. that's crazy how time flies. Have you got any anything planned for him? Any second birthday party? <laughs> well, we were going to have a, a pool party, which was definitely wishful thinking. And as you know about me, mate, it's uh, <laughs> you shouldn't really plan to have a pool party ever. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's probably going to have to be cancelled because <laughs> the weather's not going to be up to scratch. So we'll probably just have a little do, mate, maybe a couple of people around. I'm just going to treat him like whatever he wants, he gets that day. So I've already been out today to, to Audi and I bought him like all the fruit you'd like and uh, just treat him like a king man that's that's the aim of the game yeah that's the dream for it so then if there's anybody who is in a similar position now to them when you were so for example early 20s new to fatherhood what advice would you give them I know this is quite tricky because everybody's situation is so different but what advice would you give to somebody at a young age starting out in fatherhood um for me, like just, I know every parent says this, but like, try to enjoy it. Like, right, okay. For me, that's something I really struggled at the start. Like I just couldn't enjoy it because there was like so much going on and now it was so overwhelming and I almost didn't have time to enjoy it. And I didn't stop and just, you know, be aware of the situation. I just, I was just so het up, do you know what I mean? It was just so full on. 
and I forgot to enjoy it. Really, I did. It's only now I can enjoy it. But my advice to anybody, you know, who does become a father is to try, try and enjoy it. Like almost take, take beauty in the sleepless nights and enjoy almost like when he's like sick all over you or enjoy, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Enjoy that, like enjoy him just, or enjoy them like just sleeping all day. And just enjoy that, do you know what I mean? Because um, there is beauty in it. And, it, and it, every parent again will say this, but time goes so quickly. Like, you know, Gabe's turning two very soon. Like he's, he's slowly not becoming like a little baby anymore. And I, I feel bad because all that time I kind of wished for time to hurry up and I wanted life to get easier. Now I'm like, oh, I should have just took my time and just appreciated how yeah. beautiful it is to have a baby in your life. So just, just, just enjoy it. But also at the same time, like, I put so much pressure on myself. I remember like listening to all like father podcasts and trying to read books and going to antenatal classes, you know, doing all this stuff to, to, to you know, prepare myself as much as possible. Um, but the best advice I got told was like, as long as you are happy and as long as the baby is happy, that's it. Like, like job is done as a parent. You don't need to worry about having all the, you know, all the latest gadgets. I mean, you probably don't know Connor, but mate, honestly, the amount of stuff you probably think you need to buy the baby is just ridiculous. It's just right, okay. obscene. <laughs> and so obviously, like, you get so overwhelmed thinking, oh, my God, there's all this stuff I need for the baby. But, like, in the end, man, there's not much. As long as, like, the kid is, like, fed and clothed, that's, that's it. Job done. Job done. And as long as, you know, honestly, as long as you are happy, then the baby will be happy as well. And that's, that, for me, is, is the best advice. Yeah, is there ever has, has there ever been anything you bought him that very quickly you've realised? Oh, that was kind of pointless. Oh, trying to think now. Oh, there's going to be a lot of stuff, but I can't quite think. <laughs> anything that comes to mind, or um, I mean, we've got two baby gates. We only bothered to put one up <laughs> because <laughs> it was just yeah. In the end, he just eventually learned that if you fell down the stairs, you're going to hurt yourself. <laughs> so we only needed one baby gate um oh there's this like a snot sucker but to be fair it probably is useful but i found it absolutely disgusting it's basically when babies get all snot in the nose obviously they don't know how to blow their nose so it's like this little pump where you put it up his nose and squeeze it and it puts air in and obviously takes all the snot out i found that absolutely repulsive so i, I never use that um swaddles so swaddles basically do you know what a swaddle is no, I don't know what it is. <laughs> it's a little education for you, mate. So a swaddle <laughs> is like, how do I say, do you know when babies are all wrapped up? Yeah, yeah. They're usually wrapped up in a swaddle. And I remember we got about eight swaddles because that's what we got told, get plenty of swaddles and also get all these blankets as well. But mate, a swaddle is basically a blanket. It's just a fancy name. <laughs> it's a massive marketing game. So yeah, don't get swaddles. The swaddles okay. are definitely yeah, a waste of money. Right, I'll, I'll note this down for the future. No swaddles. No. Yeah. So then we will kind of touch upon Gabe a bit more towards the end, but let's go on to then the work you're doing. So obviously now you've had a child at 23, you have to finance him somehow, right? Uh, what kind of work did you then do and do you do uh, since Gabe was born? Yeah, so I was quite well, really, really fortunate, mate, that I managed to get a job about literally about three weeks after Gabe was born. Um, so before Gabe was born, I was working as a chef, uh, a botanist, uh, and anyone who's a chef knows that like 
it, it's tough. I was, uh, like, I'll be finishing work at like 2 a.m., 3 a.m., stinking of grease. So like, I needed a proper job, you know what I mean? Well, not a proper job, but a more family-friendly job. So I found yeah, this job yeah. at Element Society. Uh, basically, it's basically doing, we're a youth organization. And one of the projects that I do is NCS. Yes. Did you do NCS, Connor? Yeah, I did when I was 16. <laughs> you did? Get in, man. Yeah, yeah sweet. I'll explain I it anyway, just in case people... Uh... Did you like it, by the way? I did, actually, yeah. It was something different that I hadn't really done at all up until that point. So uh, I remember my mum kind of recommending it. And I think she did it in a way which was saying, you're going. I thought, all right, go for it. Did it. I thought, yeah, it's actually all right. You know, it's something different. Met yeah. people I wouldn't have done it otherwise. So... Yeah, it's definitely Absolutely. worth it. Well, mate, that, that, I mean, yeah, you just kind of took the words out of my mouth. That's what NCS is all about. Um, and it's, it's wicked to be part of it and to give people like an opportunity to do something like NCS. For people who don't know, NCS is basically like a, a four week summer program for year 11s. Um, and we basically spend like a week doing a residential. So doing outdoor activities, so stuff like climbing, abseiling, all that stuff. And then they spend a week um, back in Sheffield doing some like, like various workshops on societal issues so this will be covering all kinds of stuff educating them on stuff like black lives matter homelessness poverty you know all that kind of stuff and then the last couple of weeks they do a social action project and that's really anything they, they, they want to do hopefully you know after a week of education of learning about all these societal issues they'll then they'll then be passionate about it and then do something really productive in the community or to spread some kind of social awareness so it's wicked to have a job where, you know, you can educate, you know, the future generation uh, and you can, yeah, you really see a difference in these people where they're completely, I mean, mate, when I was 16, I had no idea about other societal issues. I don't know about yourself, but yeah, I was, I was completely clueless. <laughs> I was completely clueless. Uh, so unaware of anything but myself. And, but, uh, but so it's wicked to then, you know, meet 16 or 15 year olds and, you know, give them this education um because it's, it's something they need and to be fair a lot of these kids are woke you know like these kids they know about this stuff already so it's just giving them a little bit of helping hand and then yeah like i said they can do something in the community or some kind of social awareness campaign um but yeah it's it's a, it's a really good program is ncs yeah and it's obviously the four week summer camp do you do it all year round nowadays i remember when i did it it was just summer and maybe there was one in the october half term does it mainly go in summer or? Yeah, well remembered, man. Yeah, so we do have, it runs in the summer. Um, uh, and then in the autumn, we'll have one program as well. The autumn one often differs. So previously we've like worked at um, schools, uh, how do we say? So worked at NACRO, which is like a school for, I don't want to say bad kids, but you know the kids who've almost been let down by education. Right, okay. So then falling in, in, these, in these kind of schools, we'll take them away. Uh, and they'll basically just do like a mini NCS. But we've also worked with like uh, kids with various disabilities as, as well. And we'll take them away during the autumn. And they'll just like focus on the, the outdoor adventure stuff as well. Okay, sweet. And then do you ever do anything like um, go into schools and spread the message? Or is that kind of something that you're involved in? Yeah, so that's that's basically my, my day job at the moment. Is It's just going into schools uh, and just, just chatting about NCS and... It's, uh, yeah, you get to like meet all these kids and basically tell them what NCS is all about. You know, they should sign up. Um, and we also do like presentations like in, in, in assemblies. So I've literally gone from 
because I go red, you know, when I when I get embarrassed, you can I'm one of the people where you can really tell I get embarrassed. Uh, I've gone yeah. from like that kind of guy to then now being able to do like public speaking and shout about NCS and assemblies to like 300 people. Yeah, and you do you do it pretty comfortably now? Um, I mean, I still get anxious <laughs> still, yeah. but now I know how to deal with that. You know, I've I've, I've just learned to just deal with it and how to how to cope with it. Um, and that, that's just come with practice. So, but I'm at a level now where I'm not having sleepless nights thinking about it. <laughs> like I'm able to just calm myself down. I've got various techniques to, you know, prepare myself for the presentation and then I can go and smash it. Yeah, nice. You've got someone else who can give you sleepless nights anyway, I'm sure. Oh, he's, he's a good boy now. He's oh, is he? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, you know, hopefully no parents are listening because they'll hate me. But yeah, he made, he literally sleeps yeah, from like 7 p.m. till about 6 a.m., which is Whoa. an absolute dream. Um, and then even still, he'll come into our room at like 6 a.m. and then just like lay with us for a bit, which is like the most blessed way to wake up. Um, and then eventually when he gets bored, he'll just get out of bed. And that'll be around about quarter to seven, seven o'clock that's the dream yeah it really is yeah, it really yeah. is very very oh, lucky yeah yeah of course so then with the ncs that's obviously kind of some kind of activism some kind of charity work in a way in 2017 i think it was yeah when we were in second year of uni i think you went to sierra leone for three months didn't you yeah, man, that was a yeah, uh, was a, a crazy time. So, yeah. do you mind telling I mean, that me was, about that? Yeah, absolutely, man. Happy, always like to talk about Sierra Leone. I drop it into most conversations. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't mean to sound like a white savior, but it's always it's always there. But no, I, I mean, I'll be honest. I just wanted to travel, mate. It's, it's what I've always enjoyed doing. And so I had this summer coming up, and I was like, you know, I need to travel as much as possible. But like every other student, man, I had absolutely no money. Um, but then I found out about this thing called ICS, which is connected to NCS, actually. But it's called International Citizen Service, where you basically do like a social action project abroad, uh, in my case, Sierra Leone. Uh, and you just have to raise £800 and then you're good to go. So, you know, I raised my money. I, uh, yeah, and I was off to Sierra Leone for three months. And it was um, honestly the most incredible time, most incredible time. I, I absolutely loved it. Uh, it was... Uh, yeah, I mean, it was, it, was, it was crazy. I mean, if people don't know about Sierra Leone, like only about five years ago, it was, it was the poorest country in the world. Whoa. So you can imagine, how do I say, to go from England to a country like that, you can imagine how, how the standard of living was over there. But at the same time, like it was, it, it, the most beautiful country, the most beautiful country. Yeah, of course. And so what kind of work were you doing there? Were you teaching? Yeah, so I was teaching over there. Um, I was teaching uh, basic math and English to Ebola survivors. So obviously Sierra Leone was quite badly hit by, uh, by Ebola a few years ago. Uh, so I was over there teaching uh, really basic math and English to, to Ebola survivors, yeah. Yeah, okay. And then this is pretty tricky, but I'm not sure how I can phrase this. What did you do? <laughs> For socialising, yeah. What did you do for fun, say, when you weren't teaching? Were you doing any other kind of work or were you just kind of exploring the local area? What did you do in your downtime? Yeah. That's what I need to say, yeah. Um, well, the thing is, in Sierra Leone, there's not loads to do in terms of, like, 
what would you call it, like, like a fun activity. Like there's no bowling alley or yeah, yeah. It's, it's really nothing like that. So for me, it was just spend time with the, with the people there. Like um, there's a, a family who took me in, so I'd spend time with them. There was a huge family next door with like loads of kids. So it really was just spending time with them and trying to like really like embrace the culture. So I'd just do as much as possible. Uh, and just really took myself in into how how they lived that was really how I'd like just entertain myself is just do as they do yeah of course and then when you came back from Sierra Leone then after three months did you get any culture shock coming back to the UK what was it like adjusting back to UK life after seeing a country that was so different <laughs> it was probably weirdly it was harder to adapt to UK lifestyle when I returned than it was going into Sierra Leone lifestyle. Like, I mean, as you probably know, like, like yeah, now I'm like, it, it was so cheap over in Sierra Leone. Like, so, so cheap. Mate, for example, you could get like a bottle of whiskey, for, like 20p. You could get cigarettes, like a pack of six for 15p. So I went from that and, you know, living like that, I'm not saying I just drank whiskey and had six all the time, but, you know, a meal over there would be like 10p. It was so, so cheap. To go from that to then to UK, where I remember the first day I came back, I went with some friends to Weatherspoons, which is already quite a cheap place. I remember like getting like, well, I was going to iron up the halloumi fries because, you know, I've not had that kind of food for a while. And they were like three or four quid. And I was just like, I couldn't do it. I couldn't, I just couldn't buy stuff because it was so expensive. Um, <laughs> that's just one example of how, you know, the course is so different, but it's a real, real shock to the system and just, how do I say, the way, just the way people are and the way people just completely just stick to themselves in this country. Yeah. Like you go in, in, in Sierra Leone, like everyone's just kind of talking to everyone. Everyone's like, just wants to speak to you. And that's not just me as like a white guy in that country. That's everybody over there is just like, almost like one, one big family. Like everyone's just like speaking to everyone. Everyone's like living with each other. Do you know what I mean? Whereas in this country, we're just so segregated. Is that the best word to use? Like we're just so ourselves like we just completely like living yeah. by ourselves and within our little well, isolated little isolated mate completely yeah it was over there everyone's just together and it's such a nice warm feeling and it was difficult to get used to not having that in this country yeah sure and then this might sound like quite a cliche you know post-travel question but what do you think you learned about yourself after spending three months in Sierra Leone at that age oh I about myself I think I learned how much I just took stuff for granted completely. Mm. Like, like because I was so without in Sierra Leone, like, like, like obviously we weren't living in hotels, like we weren't living, living this dream life, but like, like even stuff like, uh, like we had no internet over there. And obviously in this country, if internet goes down for two minutes, it, it's absolute carnage. Yeah, part um, of this interview. <laughs> mate, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> like it's just chaos. Whereas over there, like, you, you don't have a lot of stuff, but you don't need stuff, man. And that's really what I learned, like, over there, like, even stuff like, how do I say, like, I didn't have a, a cushion, I didn't have a pillow to sleep on, so I just used, like, loads of old T-shirts to make my own cushion, and that was fine. <laughs> like, that's absolutely fine, was over, you know, back in this country, I'd be, like, oh, making sure I've got my free pillows, and they're all plumped nicely with yeah, fresh yeah. <laughs> cushions, and it's like, Jesus Christ, man. <laughs> so I just... Yeah, completely just take stuff for granted. And I, I try to remind myself now 
like let's say when I go to sleep I remind myself like you know people in other countries don't have this kind of comfort and we completely I mean I completely take it for granted and that's definitely one thing I've learned like just so much I take for granted yeah definitely I mean I'm kind of I know this is quite a tricky thing to say because everybody's situation is different but I and I've not done this yet either I mean Vietnam is still completely worlds away from Sierra Leone but I feel like some almost everyone should maybe spend some time in a country or a place like that just to get a sense of perspective of what really matters and what you really should yeah, be for. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, I said it there, like that. having a different perspective on a different culture is super important. I, I don't know how you could kind of impose that on everybody. Um, <laughs> but like, I mean, everybody needs to do it, mate, because you, yeah, you learn so much about people and, and that, that is just such an important life lesson, don't you think? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I see things now from a Vietnamese, say, family, and I think, oh, yeah, of course, you'll see the world this way because, you know, you didn't grow up with, you know, a TV in the house or access to any song you want on Spotify or, you know, any, even education. I mean, a lot of times here, you have to, uh, at a lot of places, you have to pay for it, whilst in the UK, you know, you yeah. go and you take it for granted. Yeah, I mean, it's the exact same in Sierra Leone. Like, you have to pay for education there. And it's like, people are already, like, very, very poor. So, I mean, yeah, if you can't access free education, then it's it's, it's tricky to, uh, you know, get out of certain situations. But, yeah, I mean, if you, you if you aren't living in that country or you aren't aware of it, then you're never really going to acknowledge your own privilege, you know? Like, obviously, we take education for granted. I mean, I, 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 mean, I, I, uh, I fucked about for the first year of uni. <laughs> like I completely took that for granted and that's that's a university degree that's such a an insult really when you think about it it's such an insult to them people in countries where education is, is not possible for them yeah sure I know what you mean that's an interesting way of looking at it yeah but then yeah from a different perspective I think it's always key always so then we are gonna be finishing this pretty soon but one thing that struck out to me earlier when you were going through early parenting, as I'm sure a lot of other people are, was there ever a point where you wondered, hang on, am I doing the job correctly? If so, how do I get better? You know, what is, what is being a good parent? What's the definition? Was there ever a point where you thought, shit, am I actually good at this? <laughs> um, uh, I think it was when, so right now, like my current situation is I'm working part-time. So I just work three days a week and then Armani, she worked five days a week. So when we kind of switched almost like uh, parenting roles, we fairly soon I was, I kind of took, took grips on being like the sole, like the main parent. And I think fairly soon, once I got like that control, that's when I really started to come into my own. Right. Sure. Once that's I when I was, yeah, that's when I was like, yeah, I think I'm, I'm doing this okay now. Like I used to like take him out by myself and, you know what I mean? Just start to like, just do stuff, just me and him. And when I start to do yeah. more of that, that's when I was like, oh, okay. I think I'm doing this okay. Like, yeah, I'm smashing this now. And I, I generally am proud of myself because it's not easy. You know, it's, I've been completely thrown into the deep end. Like you, mate, I didn't know how to hold a child. <laughs> and now, now I know exactly what to do. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I suppose like, you know, the best way to learn something is by doing it. I know it's very difficult to say that with, there's a difference between, you know, I don't know, archery and parenting but <laughs> <laughs> exactly that's the way so then coming up to the end of the chat then will 
whether this could be with Gabe. Oh, do I just have a voice break? Jeez, I'm, 20, I'm 23 years of age and I'm just have a voice break. <laughs> Still happens. <laughs> whether this be with Gabe, whether this be with NCS, what are your aims for the future? I know that's a very <laughs> broad question, but I'll still pose yeah. it. Oh, aims for the future. You know what, mate? Because obviously you asked me these questions uh, in, a, in, a, in a message before and I wrote down some. <laughs> I've literally written Most down. Lots of house. I've written down house. So yeah, I want to get my own house. Nice. Uh, obviously, because renting it is just like, you know, dead money. And eventually it'll be nice to get his own house. And I think what happens when we have his own house is that we can potentially have another child. Um, so then, yeah, that, that will happen. So that's that's really my aim now is keep working hard on NCS and keep getting my money. Then we get the house, then a second child. And the, but then within all that, just just remain being happy. Like I, I love my life. I'm I am very grateful. I I know I'm blessed. Um, and I I think I guess mate, the aim is just to keep being this happy. You know, I I wake up happy and I, and I go to bed happy. So if I can aim to keep being like this, then then job done, man. That's the that's the aim. That's the aim, man. Yeah, fair play. Listen, man, this has been great to have this catch up. Glad that we managed to do it. And yeah, I wish you all the best with it. Oh, bless you, man. Yeah, well, thank you for having me on. Yeah, cheers. I look, I look forward to eventually when I come back, which I don't know when that's going to be, to be honest. Need to meet up again, maybe in that ice cream place, maybe Weatherspoons, like the old days. <laughs> and maybe this time I'll yeah. finally learn how to hold a baby. Round two with Gabe. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you can't, you can't hold him anymore. That's the thing, man. That's it. That's shit saying yeah, fair it's enough. It's too heavy. <laughs> yeah, I had, my, I had my chance, blew it, but not to worry. Nice one, man. Yeah, all the best for the future. And yeah, see you soon. Easy. Take care.